Take your copy of God's Word, and if you go to the book of Philippians, please, this morning. Philippians, the first chapter. We've been spending some time uh, in recent days in this book. I I love the book of Philippians. We'll be reading in just a moment uh, from the first chapter, uh, the first eight verses, verses 1 through 8 of Philippians uh, chapter 1. I understand that a Russian countess... Uh, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And uh, she was not shy about her testimony. She didn't keep it a secret. Um, She was open about the fact that she loved the Lord and knew the Lord and served the Lord. And the czar was displeased. In fact, he was so displeased, uh, he actually threw her into prison. And after 24 hours with the lowest level of Russian society... In the most miserable conditions imaginable, he ordered her to be brought back into his presence there in the court. And he smiled mockingly to her and said, Well, are you ready to renounce your silly faith and come back to the pleasures of the court? And to his surprise, the countess standing there smiled serenely and said these words, I have known more real joy and more real happiness in one day in prison with Jesus than I've known in a lifetime in the courts of the czar. Beloved, can I just remind you this morning that when someone truly meets the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are forever changed. And I couldn't help but think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, the author, the human author here of a Philippians under the expression of the Holy Spirit, you know, Saul, the persecutor of the church, became Paul, the planter of churches, the great missionary for the Lord Jesus. And all of it was by God's grace and by his mercy. And in today's passage, Paul serves as a wonderful example of how we should live as believers. And as we look at the passage together, I want to ask you to do this. I want you to just to pray to the Lord right there where you are, just from your heart. One of those, I call them thought prayers. Just ask the Lord that as you read the scripture today, as you hear the sermon today, as you're there today in your seat during these moments, that God would speak to your heart. That God would put his finger on anything that's not right and it might be corrected today. Because what we find here are some wonderful things from the life of the Apostle Paul that should be true in our lives as well. He said, well, why should we emulate Paul's life? Well, because of what he says in the 21st verse. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's Paul's Christ-likeness that we're seeking to emulate. If you're there in Philippians, we'll begin reading at verse number 1 where it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops, that is the pastors, the elders, and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, 
because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now I want to show you four things from Paul's life that were true about him and should be true about us. Some reminders today, some challenges today. And very simply, the very first thing we find here in this passage that I want to mention to you is we need to lead a life, we need to live a life of thanksgiving. A life of thanksgiving. We find that in verses 3 and verses 5. He says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, verse 5, for your fellowship of the gospel from the first day until now. I want you to think about that word thank that's there in your English Bible. You know, we have an English translation unless you're really scholarly and you brought a Greek Bible today. Uh, but uh, we have an English translation, and the Greek word thank there is quite interesting. And I'll, I'll mention more about it in a second. But you know that word thank just in English, we understand what it is to thank someone, right? They do something for you and you, you thank them. They give you something and you thank them. And you know, thankfulness and thanksgiving can be genuine and heartfelt. But thanksgiving can also be fake and forced. Kind of like when somebody gives your child tube socks for their birthday and you say, okay, say thank you. Thank you for the tube socks for my birthday. You know, I mean, it's not really genuine. It's not really heartfelt. And when you look at this passage, you might think, well, exactly what is Paul saying when he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you? Is it just a nice way of starting the letter? Is it just a way of just, you know, opening things up? Well, listen to what uh, John Phillips mentioned. The word translated thank here was first used in the New Testament when it came to the feeding of the 4,000. Now, you remember Jesus fed the 5,000, but he also fed the 4,000 in Matthew 15. And it says in that passage in Matthew 15, 36, that the Lord Jesus took seven loaves and fishes and gave thanks. It's the same word. The word is also used in the same way in the story of Paul on board a storm-tossed ship in the book of Acts. The 27th chapter, the 35th verse, it says he took bread and gave thanks. In other words, beloved, Paul was as thankful for the Philippians as he was for his daily bread. What he's saying here is heartfelt and genuine. He says, I thank my God when I think about you. Someone has noted that the worst day for uh, worst moment for an atheist, you know, someone who doesn't believe in God, is when they feel really thankful but have nobody to thank. I mean, I, I feel sorry for them in so many regards. But as a believer, we always have someone to thank. And we always have things to be thankful for. But whenever Paul remembers the Philippian believers, he thanks God for them. And when he prays for them, according to verse 4, he does so joyfully. He is truly, genuinely, joyfully thankful for these brothers and sisters in Christ. Now drop down to verse 5. We find out why he is so thankful. Verse 5 says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. When we use the word fellowship as Baptists, we think a fellowship means fried chicken and banana pudding. It means dinner on the grounds. It, it means watermelon or whatever it is that we're having. And there is a sense where we have Christian fellowship. And I, and I miss those days, don't you? We can go over and have a meal together. We can go out and, and do things together. Uh, fellowship may be as simple to some of us as, as going out for a cup of coffee or a soft drink or going out for dessert somewhere. And there's an element there. But fellowship is so much more than that. There's more to Christian fellowship than fried chicken and banana pudding. 
What is fellowship? Well, the simplest definition I've ever been given for fellowship is simply this. Fellowship is two fellows in a ship. But it's even more than that, beloved. The word literally means here participation or partnership. And notice he says, I'm thankful for your participation, your fellowship, your partnership in the gospel. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the idea of partnership, participation in fellowship. And Paul and the Philippians here, the believers in Philippi, were brought together in the gospel. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. They were united in Jesus. And we do remember that as well. We today are brought together in this local body of believers. We're brought together to be one in Jesus. He says in verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, from our first interactions at Philippi until now where I am today. Um, if you go back to the book of Acts, it's the story of the early church. The Acts of the Apostles is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit and His working in the early church. And you find out in the book of Acts how the church in Philippi was started. There were three great conversions that took place in Philippi. You may remember one or two of them. You had a businesswoman named Lydia who was saved. You had a demon-possessed slave girl who was saved. And if you remember, there was that great salvation that came about with a Philippian jailer as God worked in a tremendous way. You may remember that Paul and Silas were beaten and cast into prison. Their feet were placed in stocks. In other words, his first stay in Philippi was not a luxury vacation in the Hawaii Hilton by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it was hard, it was difficult. And yet, when he remembers the Philippians, when he remembers the first days, he does so with thanksgiving and joy because he remembers how God worked in a tremendous way to bring about salvation in these people and establish a church there from the first day until now. They've been partners in the gospel. They stood with Paul. They supported him. He stood with them and loved them. And Paul is a wonderful example to us that we need to live a life of thanksgiving. And I think that's something we need to be reminded of in where we're living right now. We need to be thankful. I don't like what we're going through either. I don't like being told what I can and cannot do. I don't like living in phases of freedom. I don't like being told a lot of things I'm being told today and required to do a lot of things. But here's the truth of the matter, beloved. In the midst of what we're going through and all the uncertainty and all the fear and all the things that are going on in our world, in our nation, even in our own homes, we have a lot to be thankful for. And we need to be thankful people. And we don't have to wait till November next month to do Thanksgiving. We should be thankful. And one of the things we should be thankful for is our fellowship in the gospel. God has brought us together in the gospel. Think about those first three converts in Philippi. They're an unlikely group to get together for any other reason, but they were brought together in Christ. And here in this local church, in local churches across our land and across our world, people from all different uh, circles of life and walks of life and social classes and financial status and taste and preferences. I mean, look around. Everybody's different here today. We dress different and we talk different. We walk different. We do all kinds of things. We like things. We don't like things. All kinds of differences among us. And can I just say those are good? How boring would life be if every one of us was like a robot and everyone's exactly alike? No, we're all different, but here's what happened. We've been brought together in fellowship, in partnership, in participation in Christ, in the gospel. We are one in Jesus Christ. 
And Paul basically says here in this very first part here in verse three, I have you on my mind. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I think about you. You're on my mind. And can I just remind you that what you think about is what you think, what you care about. Or said another way, what you care about is what you think about. And he cared about them. And he's thankful for them. And it reminds us we need to live a life of thanksgiving. But he goes on to show us another example in verse 4. Not only do we need to live a life of thanksgiving, we need to live a life of prayer. Look at verse 4. Always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Paul could say it this way. I not only have you in my thoughts, I have you in my prayers. Read it again. Emphasize these words. Always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all. Southern translation for everybody. Y'all. With joy. Now, we, of course, know that when Paul says, I make my requests for you always in my prayer, he's not talking about the sense of 24 hours a day. You've got to keep it in context here in this letter to these believers. He says, whenever I remember you, whenever you come to my mind, whenever I think about you, I thank God for you and I pray for you. And I believe it was quite often. And notice what characterizes his prayer. Uh, thankfulness, of course, characterizes there in verse 3. Wholeness, I pray for you all. Not just part of you, not just some of you, not just the ones that really I like. No, I pray for you all. He makes requests. He does it with joy, not drudgery. Paul was a man of prayer. Let me give you a whole list of references. And you, you just listen to what Paul says to other people that he wrote to. And I want you to hear, as I read these to you, I want you to listen to where he talks about praying for them and being thankful for them. Uh, in Romans 1, 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. To the believers in Corinth, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I thank my God always in your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. To the believers in Ephesus, Ephesians 1, 16, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. To the believers in Colossae, Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. To the believers in Thessalonica, two passages, 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for you all, for y'all, making mention of you in our prayers. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. And then finally, Philemon, verse 4, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Now remember, Paul is writing these letters not just of his own whim. He's writing of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God superintended what he wrote, didn't impact his personality or anything. But as Paul wrote these words, they're God-breathed, inspired words. They're true, they're trustworthy. And Paul is able to say, God being his witness, the Holy Spirit being his witness, I thank God for you and I pray for you. And I thank God for you and I pray for you and I pray for you and I thank God for you and I pray for you and I thank God for you over and over again. His life is marked by prayer. And you look at Paul and say, why did God use Paul so mightily? He was a man of prayer. I was struck by something that John Walbert said. It's somewhat convicting. He said in our modern day when programs and publicity and promotion characterize the Lord's work, it is sometimes overlooked 
that without prayer, no eternal work can be accomplished for God. If we're just honest at times in the church, we get all about programs and publicity and promotion. Listen, there's nothing wrong with programs and publicity and promotion. We do that. But the problem is, where does our faith lie? Who are we looking to? Because without prayer, nothing of true value and significance can really take place. And Paul reminds us we live a life of prayer. Now, remember where Paul is writing this from. It's important that you remember that. Paul was bound in a Roman prison. This is one of the prison epistles. Epistle is a, a letter. Some people think an epistle is the wife of an apostle, but that's not the case. An epistle is a letter. And he's writing this prison epistle. And the theme of the epistle, you remember, the theme of the letter is joy. That alone is convicting. But Paul was bound in a Roman prison, but it didn't hinder his prayer life. He was separated from the Philippians by hundreds of miles, but it did not hinder his prayers for them. Did you know, beloved, here's the great thing about prayer. Through prayer, we can travel around the world and never leave our spot. <laughs> you say, well, I love, love to travel. I wish I could afford to travel. I can't get off from work. I don't have the money. You can travel anytime you want to. You can travel anywhere you want to go through prayer. And you never have to leave your spot. And it doesn't cost you anything either. It'll cost you some time and some effort. Some priority in your life. It may cost you giving up some things. But listen, here's the truth of the matter. Paul was a man of prayer and we need to live a life of prayer. Do you pray for those seated around you today? Do you pray for your family? Do you pray for this church? Do you pray for leaders? Do you pray for government officials? Do you pray for me? Do you pray for the lost? Do you pray for missionaries? Our life should be characterized by prayer. And when we pray, our prayer should carry with it the note of thanksgiving. So much of our prayer is not thanksgiving. It's a laundry list. It's a grocery list. It's a wish list. And by the way, we should bring our supplications and needs to God. But God forbid that our prayers are only lists of things we want. But may they be characterized by thanksgiving. Well, let's keep going. We come down to verse 6. We find that we need to live a life of confidence. A life of confidence. And let me caution you right away. I'm not speaking about worldly confidence here. Um, I'm not saying that we need to be self-sufficient. I want to look very carefully at the precious verse there at verse number 6. It says in verse 6, Paul writing, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice right away that Paul's confidence he's speaking on is not based upon himself. He's not saying, I'm Paul, I'm confident. No, he didn't say that. Furthermore, he didn't say, my confidence is not in you Philippians. He didn't say that either. He said, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work, he's talking about the Lord. God is the one who began the work and God's going to perform or complete the work. God began a good work in them. He saved them. And God's going to finish that work in them. You know, we're honest... Uh, so we start a lot of things at times, not we? we might start reading a book or start a hobby or a practice or a home repair or whatever, a sport. And sometimes if we're honest, we give up. We just don't finish the work that we set out to do. We might have a good excuse for why we give up, but we give up. But can I just tell you this, beloved, take courage in this. God doesn't give up. He completes the work that he sets out to do. 
Thanks be to God we do not save ourselves in the first place. Thanks be to God we do not keep ourselves saved. And thanks be to God we do not have to make it to heaven in the end on our own. We're saved by grace through faith. He began the work. He's doing the work. God is the one who saves, secures, and ultimately brings to completion the work that He's doing in our lives. Do you know Him today? If not, put your faith in Christ alone. He says being confident. Maybe you need some confidence today because it seems like we have no confidence in in much today because everything just seems so fragile. But you can be confident in this, that God is doing a work in your life, Christian, and He's going to finish the work that He's doing. But He says what? He says He will complete the work. He'll perform the work until the day of Jesus Christ. He said, what day is that? What is the day of Jesus Christ? Beloved, He's talking about the rapture of the church. The rapture, of course, is the resurrection of those who've died in Christ and have been buried in Christ and those who have uh, or are still living who will be translated. Let me give you some references. You can jot these references down. You can look them up and read them along with me. Let me read these to you. This will be an encouragement to you today, I hope. By the way, the next thing we're waiting for in, in prophecy is the rapture. Nothing else has to happen. Uh, It's imminent. It could happen at any moment. You say, what about all the signs that we read about? Those signs are about the second coming of Jesus. But before the second coming, there's the rapture and then there's the tribulation period. And so nothing has to happen. Jesus Christ could come back today. He could come back before we leave the service, before we get out. And even so come, Lord Jesus. But look at what he says about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is referring to dying. We will not all die we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And then he goes further to explain more in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now listen to this. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, in other words, those who died, uh, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. He didn't want them to, to see loved ones dying who trusted Christ and yet they still died and they have no hope and they sorrow. No, he says, no, listen carefully. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and, he, and we do, and he did, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, those who died in faith, will God bring with him. You know, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so the person's spiritual Self goes to be with the Lord in heaven. Their body remains behind. It may be buried. It may be lost. It may be burned up. It may be created or whatever. And so there's that separation. And so we have next door, we have a whole cemetery full of people who are no longer in those bodies. But listen to what it says. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. So if you're alive when the rapture takes place, you're not going to hinder those who've fallen asleep in Jesus, those who've died. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Now listen to this. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. I'm kind of weird, I guess, but I've often said, and I still feel this way, I'd love to be in the cemetery on the rapture day. That would be awesome. Now, the problem is, I don't know if I would actually get raptured or die before I was raptured. Because if I saw the graves open and the bodies coming forward, I might die on the spot. I don't know how quickly that will take place if I have time to die 
and be with that group or whatever. But in all honesty, here's what he's saying. When Jesus comes back in the rapture, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Their bodies will be resurrected. He brings their spiritual part with them. They're put back together and they are perfected and glorified given their resurrected bodies. That's pretty awesome. And then he says this. Then we which are alive and remain. So let's say the rapture happens. Let's, let's say at one o'clock this afternoon. Here's what it's saying in the scripture. The bodies of those who have trusted Christ and have died. The Lord brings back the spiritual part of them. Their soul, their spirit. And the body comes up from the grave. It's resurrected, perfected, reunited together. Glorified body. Perfect. And then if we're standing there and we're still alive by that point, uh, we're still remain. We, it says then that we are caught up together with them in the clouds. In other words, we then go up and guess what? We are glorified and perfected. Hallelujah. To meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. In other words, beloved, God is at work in our lives and right now He's working on us and He's molding us and He's shaping us to be more like His Son. And Paul calls this a good work. And our confidence in this morning is that God is doing this work and God's not going to grow tired of it. He's not going to grow weary of it. He's going to do the work in us. He's going to make us, Romans 8, 29, like Jesus. He doesn't give up on us. We're secure in Him. Our all-powerful God is doing a work in us that He will accomplish, He will complete, and that's something to get excited about. And can I just remind you, don't give up on each other. You can look at me and boy, you say, there's so much. Look, look at that. Look at that. Look at this. Look over there. And yes, I'm a mess in so many ways. But God's not done. And God's still working in my life. So don't give up on me. And then I look out at all of you. And you're a mess. We're all a mess, Right? But God's not done with any of us. He's still working on us. And we're at different stages of maturity, different stages of development. Some have been saved for a long time, been growing. Some have been saved for a very short time. We're all in different parts, but God's doing the same work. He's molding us and shaping us and, and chipping away to make us more like Jesus. And can I just remind you to listen? COVID-19 is part of the process. So how do you know that? Because God has allowed it in our world and our lives. And, and, and in various ways, He's working in that in our lives to help us to mature and become more like Jesus. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's taught you you have to be more patient. Uh, maybe you've had to deal with other things in your life. You've had to trust God more. And He's working through that. And I don't like it either. See, the process is not always pleasant, but God has an end goal in mind. And that is to make us more like Jesus. He's going to finish His work. He's going to finish His work. And you can rest in the fact that He is going to do what He said He's going to do. We need to live a life of confidence, not in ourselves, not in the government, not in other people, not even in our church and our brothers and sisters. But our confidence today is in Christ. Our confidence is in the Lord. 
He's not finished with us. Listen to these words. May they bless you. May they wash over your heart. First John three, one through three. Behold, what manner of love the father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Listen, beloved. Now are we the sons of God? We're already God's children. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. <laughs> He's not done. But, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man, every person that has hope in himself, purifieth himself even as he is pure. God is not done with you and me. Hallelujah. That's right. Thumbs up. We need to live a life of thanksgiving. Got to hurry. You're going to fire me and hire Bruce if I don't hurry here. We need to live a life of thanksgiving, a life of prayer, a life of confidence. Finally and quickly, we need to live a life of love. Verses 7 and 8, he says this, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you, watch it in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we know that we're a Christian is that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 3.14 says we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. doesn't mean you're not going to disagree. It doesn't mean you're not going to maybe not see eye to eye. But you have a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I love what one person wrote. Paul cared deeply, honestly. His sincere love for them could not be disguised or hidden. They were on his heart. This is a good place to carry people. If, if you carry people on your nerves, you're going to get a case of the jitters. If you carry them on your neck, you're sure to get a, a dose of hypertension. If you carry them on your stomach, you'll end up with an ulcer. So you know where the very best place to carry people is? On your heart. He says, I have you on my heart. Think about it. Paul said to them basically this, beloved. I have you in my thoughts. I have you in my prayers. I have you in my heart. He lived a life of thanksgiving. A life of prayer. A life of confidence in God. And a life of love. And beloved, that is a life worth living. May God help us through the power of His Holy Spirit, to live such a life. Would you bow with me? As your head is bowed, your eyes are closed. What is God the Holy Spirit talking to you about today? Would you just talk with Him about it? Maybe it's Thanksgiving, maybe it's prayer, maybe it's confidence, maybe it's love. Whatever it is, just talk to him about it for a moment there. And then we're going to sing a song that will summarize what we've been talking about today in a wonderful way. Father, thank you for never giving up on us. I know that if we were in your position, we probably would have walked away a long time ago. Because, Lord, we're in a mess. We are a mess. 
And we fail and we sin and we fumble. And if we were seated where you are looking at us, we'd say, you know what, that's a lost cause. But you never do that. You look at us as your sons and daughters. You've redeemed us and saved us. And you said, you know what? I'm going to finish the work in my child. I'm going to bring them to completion and perfection. I'm going to make them like my beloved son, Jesus. And Lord, we know that in that process, there's pain, there's tears, there's difficulties. It may include the fire and the flood. There'll be high days and low days, joys and sorrows. But you take all things and work them together for our good and for your glory. And so, Lord, in the midst of where we find ourselves today, and perhaps one of the most uncertain times of our life, where there seems to be chaos all around and storms and trials, may there be a peace and a calm assurance, a confidence, knowing that you are on your throne. You are in charge and you are working in our world and working in our lives and you will complete your work. We give you glory. We give you praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This song summarizes what I've been saying. I think you've got it down by now. You know it. If not, you can learn it with us. But let's stand together and sing it in closing. Sovereign over us. Yeah.
truth with you. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week in the Lord.